یو مسی While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew no sin, became sin for our salvation. And therefore, Lord, we are grateful and so deeply grateful to you, our Lord, for sending your son to die. As we reflect on this subject this morning, you speak to us in Jesus name amen good morning and praise the lord it's two minutes to afternoon and hope you have um, been well and the lord has kept you he has been gracious to you um, and 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 that you are well Going to reflect from passages of scripture this morning, Leviticus 16. The time we will have read the whole of Leviticus 16, which has uh, 34 verses. But because of time, I'm going to pick a few scriptures from Leviticus, um, Leviticus chapter 16. We'll reflect on that uh, as we move on, and I will be reading a few scriptures. Others will just be quoting as we walk along. Receive greetings from my family, uh, who sent greetings. Sorry that we're not with them today, and I pray that um, one of these fine days, God giving us an opportunity, we'll be able to minister together here, as the Lord allows. Let me just give a bit of my testimony in a way of sharing this morning. Born and raised up in a Christian family. My father is a pastor in a Pentecostal church in the village. Born and raised up in a village that you can't find in Gugumap called Mwarusana means village or forest. That is the name of my village and it's not a joke, it's true. And I remember growing up as a good boy and that's why you hear people say when you ask a sister or a brother who are you dating? You say I'm dating a good man or I'm dating a good girl. Friends, We don't date good people. We don't. If you are dating a good person, then you are in a wrong relationship. You must date a believer who loves the Lord. Everyone can be good. So my father disciplined us and helped us to love the Lord But as a Form 1 student, I backslid. You may ask yourself, then, was I born again? Story of another day, right? Because I don't want to go into theological discourse in this pulpit. <clears throat> Became a very, uh, very serious drunkard in the village. My mom, I became a disgrace to my family. At one time, I could hear my mom pray for me 
that God meet this young man. Call him to yourself. My father as a pastor one evening mentioned and said, how am I going to preach to other people when my own son is this way? Cut the long story short. I heard this, the sermon preached from John chapter 4, the story of the Samaritan woman asking Jesus for water. I think the pastor was very theologically on point, preached that sermon. And that for me was the time my life changed. Back in the year 2002, as a high school boy. I stand here as a testimony that God calls, God has been knocking in your heart. You might be here this afternoon, and God has been calling you to himself, and you've been running away. A small book that I read, the first chapter talks about the hound of God, you know, that God has been looking for you, running after you. I stand here as a testimony that God calls. As we think about this subject, I want you to reflect on your own life and your own journey with the Lord. How is it? Do you love Jesus or you don't? There's all in between. You cannot love Jesus 70%. As we will be looking at this subject, it's clear that either you love him or you don't. Atonement. <clears throat> this is what happened to me and to you. We will look at this subject in four parts, and hopefully the time will allow us to go through all these parts. First, I think, just to ask ourselves, what is atonement? But secondly, is the question of how did Christ atone for our sins? And thirdly, how is atonement looked at in the Old Testament? Therefore, we will look at that as a shadow of what is yet to come in the New Testament when Christ finally was nailed on the cross. And thirdly, I will look at the, our response as believers. What then can we do? <clears throat> Wayne Grudem, in his book, Systematic Theology, he writes and says that atonement is the work Jesus Christ did in his life and death to earn our salvation. If you forget anything else, I think that definition for me is the simplest, direct, and on point. What Christ did, or you can say what Christ has done for our salvation is called atonement. So don't get so, uh, you know, there are these Christianese words that uh, can confuse you. That's a simple, that's atonement. 
You know, you may go to a place and you're hearing words like propitiation, you know, atonement. And you're wondering, are these words found in the, in the, in the, in the dictionary? Simple as that. What Christ has done? And what has he done? Christ died and rose again. Why did he die? For you and I to be saved. You and I to be saved, Christ had to die. Atonement refers to the needed reconciliation between the sinful mankind and a holy God. That how can I stand before a holy God? How? These are two separate lives. One, sinful to the core. The other one, holy of holy. How can we meet? How? It's through atonement that we are being reconciled to Christ or to the Lord through the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus has atoned for our sins. Atonement is exactly what Christ has done, has reconciled us to himself. No wonder atonement is said to be the central message of the Bible. Looking at Genesis is that God creates two people, you know, creates one and of course later another one called uh, Eve. They live together in the Garden of Eden and they sin before the Lord. And God at that time starts a journey to redeem the people to himself. And that is salvation. And no wonder atonement is the central message of the Bible. Yes, there could be other messages, but I look and I look at the Bible, I see God in the journey of calling sinners to himself. He's using the patriarchs. The story of Moses is salvation story. The story of judges is the salvation story. God calling people to himself. The story of kings, when you read first and second kings, when you read judges, when you read Daniel, when you read Ezra, when you read all the Bible from Genesis all the way to Malachi, God is in a journey to bring people to himself. No wonder in the, in the book of prophets, we will hear some of the things that are said about someone who will come and they will die for our sins. So God is in a journey in the book of Genesis all the way to Malachi to bring people to himself. No wonder you see in the, in, in, at, at the end of Malachi there is a blank page. That is not a decoration. It speaks something in theology. It is called intertestamental period, which is accumulation of almost 500 years they're called silent years. And I think many people say God was now working a plan to save men. Because he has used all these patriarchs, judges, kings, right? prophets, both major and minor. But people are not coming to him. They keep on messing. No wonder even the kings you hear, this king did what was right before the Lord. But, have you seen that? But... 
men. You know, they're men sinful. Kings were sinful people. In the silent years, I think God hatched a plan, and the plan was to send his son, the only son, Jesus Christ. No wonder Matthew starts with a genealogy to show where we are coming from until Jesus Christ. And then we have Jesus, of course, killed for our sin. Central message of the Bible. Salvation, history, atonement. Mark Dever, senior pastor, Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and the president of Nine Mark says this. When atonement is talked about, it means that a price has been paid for our sins. A price. Cost has been paid for our sins. Therefore, as a result, sinful us together with the Holy God can coexist. That is a wonderful analogy of atonement. A price has been paid for our sins. As a result, the sinful people, me and you, have been brought together with the Holy God. And therefore we can face him. We can face God. Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has paid a price. And the price, he hasn't paid using money. He hasn't paid using goats. He has paid the price by the use of his own life. And therefore, we've been brought back to God. Atonement refers to Jesus Christ dying as a substitute for sinners. That at that cross, when you look at the cross, see yourself nailed there. But because you are not there, Jesus is there as substitute. Jesus has become a substitute, substitutionary atonement. Rather than you being there, Jesus went there on your behalf. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in who? In Christ Jesus our Lord. That we have life and life in abundance, not because of the things that we have done, but because of the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were meant to die. When you see Jesus on the cross, see yourself right there. But Jesus died for us. Old Testament atonement was a single day. And I want you to read later, see this, what I've been calling atonement. Few texts speak into this, Romans 3.25, Romans 5.11, Romans 5.19, uh, that we read in the second service, and I don't want to read them now. In the Old Testament, there was one day of the year called the Day of Atonement. This is when all Israel would gather around the tabernacle, which tabernacle represented the presence of God. And then they will be cleansed from their sin. It was the time when God would take away all sin that had accumulated for one year. 
always imagine that the sins you committed this week alone zinaweza toshea kuagunia za 50 kg tatu maybe now imagine a whole year the sins had accumulated for the israelites and they were to do it once a year in the day that is called the day of atonement you know that after leaving his egypt the nation of israel camped around mount sinai while they were there they built or they received god's law or what we call god's commandment and they built a tabernacle a place for god to dwell among them when it was completed god's glory filled the holy place of the tabernacle the tabernacle was divided into places or into segments god remained with his people as long as they remained holy and of course he walked with them into the promised land they had to remain pure and holy to have god dwell among them israel was a chosen people for the lord but just like all of you who are seated here and myself they weren't anything perfect before the lord they were sinful people no wonder they needed the day of atonement these were the people who had built and they worshiped idols you remember they at some point they developed or they worshiped on a golden calf they grumbled before the lord they complained in the desert they were sinful people but god is a holy god the two could not coexist and if the two can't coexist there needed to be done something and the something is atonement the day of atonement i guess the israel looked forward for this day every year just like the way we look forward for some days we look forward for a day to get married for example is a day some of us are, are looking forward to with anticipation and i guess these people are looking forward to the day of atonement where they care, their sins will be taken away from them so their sins need to be covered so atonement happened in old testament in what we see in leviticus 16 now i'm not going to read all of it i will just summarize a few things a few thoughts here and then we will be able to flow as we almost conclude in the next uh, uh, 30 or so minutes leviticus 16 verse 8 to 10 the atonement in the old testament was tedious and a long ritual process i want you to figure out what used to happen in the old testament and to figure out what christ has done so i want to put this together you see what was happening and what christ has done so that we can know how then should we move on from here in things of as we think about atonement verse 8 to 10 the bible says <clears throat> And Aaron shall cast lots over the two gods one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the Azazel and Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering and Aaron shall cast lots on the two gods and the lots for the Lord and the other for Azazel mm-hmm. verse 9 now and Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats one lot for the lord and the other for azazel 
I'm just repeating this again. My Miwan is moving up rather than down. Okay. Let's read, let's read here. <clears throat> let's go to verse 9. He is to present the God chosen by the Lord for the Lord and the sacrifice as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by the Lord for Azazel is to be presented alive before the Lord to make purification with it by sending it into the wilderness for Azazel. We can stop there. And I explain that briefly. This is the first thing that Aaron needed to do. Two goats are brought. One has a pigia kura kind of lots, all right? So one sheep or one goat, I mean, is supposed to be for the sin offering. But the other one is supposed to be called a scapegoat. One goat is selected to be a sin sacrifice for the Lord. The other is a scapegoat which takes the sin of the people into the desert. The sins and impurity which clung so close to the people throughout the year were now going to be taken outside the camp by this scapegoat, the second goat. That was the first process. The first process is to choose the two goats. One is a sin offering, the other one is a scapegoat, which will be sent into Azazel, or into the forest, or into the wilderness, to carry the sins of Israelites out of the camp. The second thing is what we see in verse number 11. Verse number 11. 11 through 14. 11 through 14. When Aaron presents the bull for his sin offering and makes atonement for himself and his household, he will slaughter the bull for his sin offering. This is the second thing. He has chosen the two gods. The second thing that is supposed to happen is that Aaron is supposed to offer sacrifice for himself. Remember, Aaron is the high priest. Before he does anything, he must be clean. Before he takes your sin and puts the sin on a scapegoat so that the scapegoat can be sent out to the Azazel. The truth is, Aaron needed to be clean. This is the second thing. Choose the gods. Secondly, cleanse the high priest. Who is going to go for us to the Holy of Holies? Aaron and his family. A bull was sacrificed to atone for his sins and only when he was clean from his sin that he could be able to perform the ritual of cleansing the rest of the Israelites. The high priest could only enter God's presence through the blood of the bull that was shed for him and therefore he needed to be clean first. The third thing that happens is verse 15 to 18. And I want again to summarize that very quickly. 15 to 18. When he slaughtered the male goat, the people's sin offering, and bring his blood inside the veil, he must do the same with his blood as he did with the bull's blood. He is to sprinkle it against the mercy seat and in front of it. Now, you remember there were two goats that had been picked. There was one for sin offering, the other one is a scapegoat. Now, that sin offering goat has been slaughtered for the people. That's what Aaron had to do. Verse 15 to 18. After the high priest had covered his sins on himself and his family, he had to go outside and sacrifice the goat that was selected. The first time he selected two goats, he had to go out there and sacrifice that goat. For what? For the sins of the people. Now Aaron is clean. The bull has been killed. 
He is clean. The next thing, let the people be clean by slaughtering the sin offering God. So by, do, by so doing, he atoned for their sin, the sins of the Israelites, away for, from their uncleanness and their rebellion. But there is, that is not the end. Something again happens. Verse 20 to 22. You remember, the first thing they did is to pick two goats. One, scapegoat. The other one, sin offering goat. Now the scapegoat, now that this, the, the sin goat has been killed and the offering has been made, the scapegoat had to be released. Verse 22, 20 to 22. When he has finished purifying, verse 20, okay. When he had finished purifying the most holy place, the tent of the meeting and the altar is to present the live male goat. You remember there is a goat that will not be killed. That is life. It's a tembea, all right? Aaron will lay both his hands. Look, Aaron will lay his hands on this live goat and they confess over it. The goat, goat is here and I confess the sins that have already been atoned on the sin goat or the sin sacrifice goat. Confess over it all the Israelites' wrongdoings. Imagine. Can you just imagine? And the rebellious acts all their sins, all these things had to be laid on this scapegoat. The goat chosen by the Lord of the scape, um, to be the scapegoat was brought before the people. The high priest who is Aaron lays his hands on the head of the, of the goat and confessed the sins of the people over it. All the sin, wickedness, rebellion, all are put on this scapegoat. The man responsible, who has been picked, you remember, there must be a man who will be picked, and that you will see in the next verse 22. Verse 22. The goat will carry on it all their wrongdoings into the desolate land, and he will release it there. The man will release the goat there. So then, this man goes to a solitary place and releases this goat to the desert. The man responsible for the goat leads this goat carrying the sins of Israel into the wilderness. Something that I read earlier this week is that the tradition of this happen is that the man carrying or, or leading the goat that is carrying the sins of Israelites, there you, the one carrying it, mess and the goat comes back. If the goat comes back to the tent, the process starts again because you are now again sinful. The sins have come back to the tent. It, th that was how dangerous it was. That is why the man leading the scapegoat outside the tent had to lead it to the wilderness. And they say in the history, if you can read this, is not in the Bible, what we call the, um, uh, the theological books as you read in the history, you find that the man leading the scapegoat had to take it to the cliff. If you are walking the wilderness down there, you take it to the cliff like Mount Kenya, you know, Jew. Then you release it on the other side of the cliff. Therefore, nyinyi munaishi side, peleka mbaka hapa ju, achilia yanguke ukondani. That is how it used to be. So that the goat does not come back to the place where the Israelites are. But that is not enough, friends. We have not finished the process. Verse number 23 to 25. 23. 
Then Aaron is to enter the tent of meeting. Take off his linen. You remember he has been doing the rituals. Now atatoa hizo nguo zote alikuwa amevaa. Take off the linen garments he wore when he entered the most holy place and leave them there. Mm-hmm. He will bathe. Right? His body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes. Alizitoa, aoge, then avai. Then he must go out and sacrifice his burnt offerings and the people's burnt offering. He will make atonement for himself and the people so that the aroma can go. You know, the itapanda juu kwa Mungu. He has now to burn this. This was to, this signified the sacrifice. The reason why he's doing a burnt offering is that the sins of the Israelites will be covered. They no longer became a hindrance for their relationship with the Lord. So the reason why he's doing a burnt offering is to cover the sins of the, of the, of the people of Israel. As if that is not enough, verse 26. The man who released the goat, you remember the man who went into the wilderness? He's back. He's supposed to wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Afterwards, he may re-enter the camp. Okay? Otherwise, if he comes to us with those clothes, because he, this simply means cleansing. He needs to be cleaned. He needs to be cleansed. He needs to be made holy. Because he has been carrying the, you know, he had the goat that carried the sins into the wilderness. He might have been contaminated like corona. You know, you have to remove your clothes when you enter the house so that you don't contaminate your children with corona. This guy had to be clean. That is not enough. Verse 27 and 28. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make the atonement must be brought outside the camp and their hide, flesh, and a dung band. Kinyesi chomwe, hide skin, right? Inje, not within the tent, outside. The remains, because you remember, if you read Leviticus chapter 1 all the way to chapter 15, you will see God had clear ways of sacrificing. There are things that in the body of the goat and the bull that will not be sacrificed to the Lord. Those, those parts of the body, of the cow or of the bull and of the goat, they will be taken outside the tent. Friends, this is what used to happen. Praise the Lord that we don't need to go through this process because Christ died for us and has become a, a sacrifice for your sin and my sin. We don't need to go through this process. We don't need to go through the process that Aaron had to take the children of Israel. Jesus suffered so heavily for you and I. He went on the cross that the cross was one of the dangerous and dreadful ways to, to die in the ancient days. 
But he went on that cross, friends, for your sins, that you don't need to go through these, that you don't need to wait for a whole year to go to the Lord and tell him that I, I am. And actually, you don't need to go. The high priest there to go. If it was that time, then our pastors will be real men of God. Because if they are the priests now, for example, stay with them. Praise the Lord that we, we don't need to go through any other man. We need to go through Jesus Christ who has died and resurrected for your sin and my sin. Hallelujah. Jesus went through a sorrowful, sorrowful time to make this process easier and better. Was it easy? No. No wonder he says in Matthew 26, 38, that my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Why was he sorrowful? It's because of my sin, my drunkenness, my sexual immorality, my wrong thoughts, my, my thinking that is not in tandem with the scriptures. That is why he was sorrowful on that cross, even to death. It was the cross that his suffering reached the climax, friends. For it is there that I saw the light at the cross, at the cross, where I saw the light, friends. It is there that my sins were carried away, and my sins were carried away by Christ in, the, in that very time of the cross. It was there by faith that I saw the light. Let me just to present to you four aspects of Jesus' pain while on the cross to make this process of the Old Testament better, greater for you and I. Number one, Jesus went through physical pain and death. The truth is, we know Jesus died. Fully human, fully God. He died. Death on the cross, friends, was one of the horrible forms of execution ever devised by men. Many readers of the Gospels in the ancient world, when they read the words in Mark 15, 24, which says, and they crucified him, they knew exactly what this man had gone through. Death on the cross was one of the horrible forms of execution ever devised by mankind. Let me give you a story that has been written in, 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 in some books, not necessarily in the Bible. If you read even some, 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 some medical ways of, of cross death, you will be surprised how our Lord and Savior Jesus died. The Epistle 101, there's a book called Epistle 101 by Lucilla, section 14, details the death of the cross this way. It says, a criminal who was crucified on the cross was essentially forced to inflict upon himself a very slow death, slow death, by suffocation. When the criminal's arms were outstretched and fastened by the nails on the cross, he had to support most of his weight of his body with his arms. The chest cavity would be pulled upwards and outward, making it difficult for the criminal to exhale in order to be able to draw fresh breath. But when the victim's longing for oxygen became unbearable, because now you need oxygen, 
When it is unbearable, what the criminal will do will have to push himself up with his feet. But remember, the criminal on the cross, his legs were cut or were broken. He will have to push himself with his feet. By pushing himself upward in his way, the victim could fend off suffocation. But it was extremely painful because it required putting the body's weight on the nails, holding the feet, and of course bending the elbows and the pulling the nails driven through the wrist. Because for you, the, the nails are here. For you to be able to, to get air into you, you have to move up. And if to move up, you have to pull yourself and the hands and pull the legs up. It was extremely painful. Extremely painful. I can't imagine. This further means that the back... Which, you know, as you pull up so that you get air, means you are actually uh, rubbing your, your, your back on the, on, the, on, the, on the ragged cross. The cross wasn't smooth like this. It was ragged. That's why I say, on the ragged cross. He, you know, this means that the back has already been torn. The back has already been torn with repeated flogging. Will they scrap against that cross or wooden ragged cross? with each breath. Every breath he had to go through this process. Try to go up. And the going up means pull the, the, the wrists that have nails and the pull the legs that already are nails. And as you go up, you're rubbing your back that is already charred with flogging against a ragged cross. Jesus had to go through this for your atonement and mine, friends and brothers and sisters. But secondly, Jesus had to go through the pain of bearing sin. It wasn't easy for him to bear sin. More awful than the pain of physical suffering that Jesus endured on this is the pain we call psychological pain, called the pain of bearing sin. Bearing the guilty of our sin. Remember, I don't know whether if you're really regenerated by the Lord, you know how awful it gets when you sin. You feel dirty, you feel bad, you feel awkward. Psychologically, you feel, ah, this couldn't have happened. Now imagine, that is you, one person. Imagine Jesus on the cross with millions, thousands, billions of people's sins. Psychological torture. Pain. Remember, Jesus was perfectly holy. If he is holy, sin don't exist. Holiness and sin don't exist together. But now a holy God, holy Jesus Christ, is bearing sin, friends. He hated sin with his entire being. The thought of sin in him contradicted his character of holiness. But out of love, that Bible says, for God loved, so loved the world that he gave friends. Out of love and justice, Jesus had to bear the pain of bearing your sin and I. Perfectly holy God bearing sins of the world. Because of love, he took on himself all the sins of the world. 
He took the sins of some people seated here. He took sins of me and you that someday we will be saved, not because of the works or the things that we have done, but because of the pain that he went through, we will be saved. No wonder Isaiah 53, 6 says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53, 12 says, He bore the sins of many, you and I. John 1, 28 says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was made sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, made sin for us to be given righteousness. Thirdly, Jesus went through the pain of abandonment. At the cross, Jesus was abandoned by his father. He not only was abandoned by his father, he was abandoned by his disciples. Jesus paid, you know, in this pain he was alone. Friends, he was alone. Remember in Gethsemane with John, James and Peter, in prayer time, he told them, my soul is very sorrowful, Mark 14, 34. My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here. Remain here and watch. This is confidence that he, you know, he was talking to his inner core, inner sack of disciples, and telling them, this is how I am. But later, in Matthew 25, 56, you remember they deserted him. They deserted him. Peter deserted him. You remember Peter? You remember Peter preaching the sermon in the book of Acts? That Peter deserted Christ. Jesus faced the pain of abandonment. By the way, the greatest pain for Jesus of abandonment was not because his disciples left him. The greatest, far worse than being deserted, far worse was the, the abandonment by his father. You know, Jesus had, had, had wanted to be, to be spending time with his father. You remember he could, he could sneak from his disciples to have time with his father because he was holy and his father is holy, so they are able to commune. But at this time, Jesus has pain on him. He has the sin of the world. They can't be with, Christ, with God, his father, and therefore his father left him. He was left by, he was deprived of closeness to the Father, something that he had been so, that he had been his deepest joy and treasure. His joy and treasure was to spend time with his Father, but at this time, he is no longer spending time with his Father. He cried aloud, friends, in Matthew 27, 46. Eloi, Eloi. And the other word, you know what it says. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Why have you abandoned me? Why? Because of you and I, his father abandoned him. Because at that time, he was bearing the pain of sin. He was carrying the sin of the world. But fourthly, is that Christ had to bear the wrath of God the wrath of God, the, the anger of God. This was the most painful aspect Jesus had to endure. 
as he bore the guilt of our sins alone, God the Father, the mighty creator, the Lord of the universe, poured out on Jesus the fury of his wrath. Our God is a God of wrath, and his wrath was on Jesus Christ. This is where we say that Jesus became the object of intense hatred because of you and I. He became the object of intense hatred hatred because of sin and vengeance against sin which God had waited patiently for many years you remember from Genesis he had not got an opportunity God had tried all he can to bring people to himself but he had not got an opportunity here he has an opportunity now to pour his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ, the, Jesus had to bear the wrath of God. Romans 3.25 tells us that God put forward Christ as a propitiation, a word which means a sacrifice that bears God's wrath. That's what it means by propitiation. And our brother who was doing spoken word, he mentioned that word. A sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end and is in so doing changes God's wrath towards us into favor. That at that time, we were accepted by the Lord as Jesus was being, as Jesus, as God's wrath was on Jesus Christ. So friends, we deserve to die. There are four things that we needed, that needed to happen to us. There are four needs that we have. Number one is that we deserve to die. Because of the penalty of sin. But secondly, we deserve to bear God's wrath. But Jesus has bared that wrath. We, dis we were separated from the Lord. But that veil has been broken. No wonder the, the curtain of the temple was torn into two. So that we can have access into the Holy of Holies, friends. Why? It's because Jesus died, rose again. And we have that access. Because we were earlier separated from the Lord. Now, we're no longer separated but because Christ died for us. But fourthly, that we were in bondage. No wonder the Bible says in Ephesians 2, that why, that, that in sin, allow me to read that lest I misquote it. Um, Ephesians, Ephesians, quickly Ephesians 2, I'm right there, verse number Verse number one, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and in mind. Verse five, four. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated up us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's what has happened. That we no longer live in sin. We were dead, we are alive. We were separated. Now we can access God. At your own time, please read Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. And see the, the shadow. You know, what exactly happened in the New Testament when Christ died in Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. 
Allow me to conclude uh, with these words. What then is our response in view of all this? Number one, having seen what Jesus has done for us, the death of Christ at Calvary should first and foremost move us to wonder and worship God for his amazing grace and love. Worship him. How can it be that I should gain a hymn when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died? My richest gain I count but loss and a poor contempt on all my pride. Go to the Lord and worship him in view of his atonement. That we can sing worthy is the lamb who was slain. Revelation 5.12. But secondly, our response should be a response that is mentioned in Romans 12.1. In view of God's mercy, friends, having seen what he has done on the cross, there is nothing that remains that we can do but to fast, worship, and the wonder on the cross, the wondrous cross. But secondly, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices before the Lord. God has given us his best, Jesus Christ. We can give him our all. That we can give Jesus all that we are. The cross calls us to gladly surrender our lives to the Lord. He's calling you and saying, come to me. Therefore, as Abraham Kaiba says, there is not a single inch over which Jesus in your own life does not say, this is mine. Surrender all to him. Many times we live a life where we have surrendered 77% of our own lives to the Lord. Where we have surrendered 97 where we have surrendered 99.9%. God says, all in view of God's mercy, present your bodies to the Lord as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable before him, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform to the pattern of his world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Friends, that is what we are being called to in view of what Christ has done on the cross. How is your life? Are you living double life? That you can sing and gasp and, and, and you know, you can preach the gospel. You know the gospel? Preach the gospel. But you know your heart is far away from the real gospel that you can sing to the Lord, but deep down in your heart, you know very well it is not right. In view of God's mercy, present in view of what he has done, in view of incarnation, in view of his death, in view of his resurrection, in view of our sin being covered, friends, we will present our bodies to him, holy, that as I sit in that exam room tomorrow, in view of his death, 
I will not look sides to confirm, but I look up to him for inspiration. In view of God has done on the cross, I will welcome my girlfriend in my room and I will not close the door. It will remain open lest I find myself touching her in some not very good places. In view of what Christ has done on the cross. In view of what he has done on the cross, I will walk on a tight, narrow road when brothers will say, you don't hug me. The reason is when I hug you, my chemistry changes. And therefore, I will not hug you. You know the 10 minutes hug where you are browsing the brother or the back as if you are hugging mahogany? You know that? <laughs> I will say, in view of his atonement, I will be a villager. Call me a villager, but I, in view of his atonement, I will live right. So long as I make him happy, I live right. I live right. You may call me names, but that's fine. In view of what he has done on the cross, I will live in purity of heart, purity of mind, and purity of body. That I will not one day stand before the people and tell them, ECU, Muna to judge. Because Ababu, you slept with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. It is sinful. In view of what he has done on the cross, I will not justify sin. Where I say, where is it written in the Bible that thou shall not kiss your girlfriend? It is nowhere. You will not find it. If you find it, let's meet and talk about it. There is no scripture like that. But kissing your girlfriend does not leave you the same. If kissing your girlfriend leaves you praising the Lord, keep doing it. <laughs> you kiss her and you're like, hallelujah, shala, <laughs> Jesus. Oh my. That was deep, Jesus. <laughs> my, my, my. If it leaves you that way, keep doing it. In view of what God has done on the cross by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to atone for me, friends, I will live right in view of God's mercy. I will present my body as a living sacrifice. My body, my soul, my heart, everything, including my money, including my relationship, including my parents. Have you seen people who go to the village? In the CU, they are the serious brothers, the kilometric. You know, wale wanatembea kwa maombi. Unajua wale wanatembea hivi? Na wakongani? Kila moja kona leni yake. Hivi? Kilometric pairs. In the CU. In the village, mama yaka najua, eti skumoja upige your CU chairman. Hello, chairman. Bwana asifiwe. Your mom will be like, who is that? Is that my son, Japheth? Because they know your heart is far away from the Lord. I will not live a double life in view of what Christ has accomplished on that cross. Hallelujah. In view of that, I will not gamble, do betting in the name of men reaching myself because I know it is not biblical. Because gambling and debating isn't biblical, brothers and sisters. In view of what he has done on the cross, I'll wait for him to bring money to me in the right way because he says, work. There's no scripture, thou shalt not gamble. But it's clear. In view of that, I will not say that with my girlfriend, tulijipata tumelala. No, we planned it. Sex, sin, is never an accident. If it was an accident, 
panda gari pale gate na your girlfriend mnaenda Nairobi town pale Ruisambu gari yanguke ikiroli hivi watoe nguo na mfanye sex hiyo ni hiyo inaitwa accident but sin sin will separate us from the lord thirdly in view of what christ has done we will join in mission we have an obligation to share the message of the cross with our fellow sinners paul knew when he said necessity is laid upon me woe unto me if i don't preach the gospel Part of the problem of us today is that we have tumefuga Yesu. You know, it is Yesu kwa nyumba yako tu umpeleki anywhere umemfuga. You know, you have domesticated Christ and the cross. No wonder people say I am I am a Jesus is my personal savior. No, he is the savior of the world. He is your personal savior. Jesus is my personal savior and the savior of the world. But the world will never know that cross unless and otherwise you go and they tell the people about this cross. We must make a choice to be able to share the fragrance of Christ in view of what he has accomplished. We know it is not us. We're not going to tell people be good. We're going to tell them Jesus has accomplished it. There is nothing that you need to do. You don't need to give big tithes. You don't need to dress well. You just need to come to him because he has already accomplished that thing called sin. We have Kinyaga mission in view of what he has done on the cross register today Don't send your spirit to us You know people who say you know chairman tuko na wewe kiroho We are with you in the spirit in Kinyaga No wonder in the mission watu wanakosana kwa sababu spirit iko mingi Spirit iko mingi We don't need your spirit we need you because Jesus calls all of you go ye into the world he's not calling evangelists All right is calling all of you register today the whole christian union preaching the whole gospel to the whole world may the lord bless us even as we think about the cross jesus Christ died for for us in our place he was crucified on the cross we deserve to die but he died in our place are you there and you're not born again and you're saying brother pray with me you can raise up your hand i will see it and i'll pray with you are you then you're saying mm? you know it in your heart you don't know christ you want to give your life to him it's not about the prayer that we make you know that people think that prayer is the one that saves you it is your decision meeting the lord one on one and talking to him are you then you're saying brother pray with me you can raise up your hand i'll pray with you wherever you are saying brother pray with me i don't know jesus this christ this cross does not make sense to me Is that your prayer this morning this afternoon you're saying brother pray with me and one who want to be you can raise up your hand I'll see it and I'll pray with you wherever you are and one who is saying brother pray with me I want to surrender my life to Jesus and one Amen This morning you this afternoon you're here and you you're struggling with sin in your heart you know I want you to pray for yourself as I ask the chairman to come and make a concluding prayer They just bow down your head your sins are more his grace abounds and I ask the chair to come and pray as he conclude the service may the lord bless you thank you uh, let us pray our father and our god we thank you for
this time, O oh God, that you have gathered here to listen to your word, O oh God. And we thank you because 